Did y'all see that? So let's have the same level of intense, just listening and like, I, I, there was some pointing, there was even a couple claps. One of the kids, I think, almost gave an amen. So let's carry that over, that intensity, into the opening of God's word as we continue in week two of our Advent series. Now, Advent is a, uh, a wonderful time. So if you uh, have not grown up in the tradition of Advent. I didn't grow up in a church that had an Advent tradition, but what essentially it is, is it's, it sort of stretches out the time where we uh, celebrate the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ being born into our reality, God with us. And at the very same time, it is this, uh, this time where we are, uh, we are anticipating and we're celebrating uh, his birth and we are also anchoring our hope in the fact that Jesus will return again one day. So he came once to fulfill all that God had called him to do. And Advent also anchors our hearts into the realities that all the promises that Jesus made to us when he came will come true one day when he comes back uh, for his beloved. And so it's this time where, where we say, uh, we need more time to just think about, dwell on, let our hearts be gladdened by the arrival of Jesus and the hope that we have and the reality that he's going to be coming back for us as his sons and daughters one day. So that's Advent. There's candles. Some of your traditions had wreaths. We didn't go so far as to do the wreath. And so, uh, but in, in, in essence, it's all about anchoring our hearts to Jesus that he has come and that he's going to come again. And so last week, uh, we saw that Christmas, the promise of Christmas, the hope of this one that would come and remove sin and conquer uh, all the rebellion that happened in the garden was promised actually in the garden at the very beginning in Genesis. So Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, wasn't plan B. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't just something that randomly happened kind of along the way and God said, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll send Jesus. Jesus was thought of in the garden. So if you didn't listen last week, go back and listen uh, to week one. And this week, we're going to pick up on that. We're, 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 in essence, seeing the promises of God in the Old Testament are fulfilled and made right and made true in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we celebrate Christmas, which is why we celebrate the arrival of this one to come, because it's ha it, was, it, was, it was told about, it was promised all the way back in Genesis, and so last week and this week, we're going to see Christmas in Genesis. A lot of times we springboard right to the Gospels because obviously that's where we, uh, we hear about his arrival. But the reason it's so important, the reason it's written about in the way that it's written about is because God's people had been longing for him to come for thousands of years. They were, they were waiting. They were waiting. And so we see Christmas, the hope and the promise of the one to come even at the very beginning of our Bible in Genesis. And we're going to see this covenant promise given to us uh, in our passages today. We're going to be in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. I'm going to read a sampling uh, of all of these. And what we're going to see is these covenant promises made to God's people that are going to promise the solution to the rebellion found in the garden is going to come through in this way that we're given in God's word. It's amazing. Genesis chapter 12, Christmas, all the way in the beginning. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the Lord speaking. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Of him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all of the families of, and in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed. And then chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. So this promise given to Abram, he's 75 years old. In you, all of the nations will be blessed. What a promise. We go on a couple chapters later. After these things, the 15, 1 through 5, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he, and he counted it to him as a righteousness. And then chapter 17, a few chapters later, just a couple of verses here, verses 1 through 6. When Abram was 99 years old, a lot of time had passed. God, what are you doing here? You gave me this promise. This seems impossible Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of, the multitude, of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into a nation, into nations. And kings shall come for you, shall come from you. So last week we began all the way in Genesis 3 and we saw the first indication of the gospel promise, this ray of hope in the darkness when rebellion had come in the garden, when they, when they sinned, when they disobeyed God, God gave this ray of hope and said, from the seed of woman, one will come and the serpent will bruise your heel, but you shall, but he, this, this seed that will come shall crush the serpent's head. And here we arrive at chapter 12 and we discover more of God's plan of how that is to come to pass, who this seed will be, what it's going to fulfill, what it's going to look like. And God intervenes and he takes an individual, this guy named this, this man Abram. 75, and then years later, he's 99, and he makes these promises to him. And rather than Abram just making a great name for himself and propping himself up, God says, I'm going to make a name for you. You don't have to make a name for yourself. I'm going to do something through you and from you. And from you is going to come 
the, a multitude of nations. Kings will come from, from you. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I, God said, will make your name great. And so by the time we get to 17, God's regarding Abram as a father of a multitude of nations. And here his name is changed from Abram to Abraham, speaking of the fact of all the nations that will come from him. And so the melodic line, the song that is sung that runs from this point on is essentially this. This is the beginnings of the promise of Christmas. In you, Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. That's quite a promise. In you, Abraham, Every nation of the earth, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be blessed because of you. God makes that promise. That's quite a promise. In other words, the seed of Abraham is going to bring about this blessing, this blessing that was lost as a result of the fall in the garden that we looked at last week that God would be with his people, that God would intervene, that God would save, that God would rescue, that we would be with him forever. God is going to make right and bring back that plan of his restoration and hope for his people through this one, through this line, through this promise. God has come to provide the solution and the promise is given to us in a covenant. God makes this covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 17, 7, I believe it's going to be on the screen, he says, he gives us this great hope. I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. Isn't that amazing? God says, I will do this. And this covenant isn't just for Abraham, it's an everlasting covenant that will have no end and will go on forever and ever and ever. And he says, this is what the covenant is. I will be God to you and to every one of your descendants. That's an amazing promise. And it is in that vein, it is that thread, it is that song that is sung forward until you are sitting here today is the reason why we have great hope in Christmas. Like, what do you mean? We'll get there. But before we jump in, I want us to really think through uh, a couple of things as we walk through this passage, the passages that we have uh, here this morning. I think that Advent in America, Advent in the woodlands, in this season has some special dangers, some traps that we can so easily fall into, some things that maybe we stumble into that we don't even want to. And there's three of them that I want us to think about as we walk through our passages this morning that I think the, the hope of Christ really addresses in a beautiful way. And the hope of these covenant promises made all the way back in Genesis helps us address today. And the first danger is this. This is a very real one. Um, this one is everywhere, especially in the community that we live in, is the danger of covetousness or greed. Um, we are in a season right now the, the marketplace celebrates Advent too, but in a different way. They're like, we have an entire two months to sell as many things as we humanly can to all of these people because this season is special. So they're capitalizing on this. And so everyone, as you walk by shops, as you uh, look through the windows of the stores you're passing, as you're going through HEB, there's all sorts of new things 
that these stores are telling you you need to have, and they're exposing these longings in you that when you walked into that place, you didn't even know you had before. You didn't even think you wanted those things. You didn't even know those things existed. But now you're walking through and you're like, I need that sweater. It has a wreath on it. This is amazing. Whatever it is. Or you're walking past the new car dealership, and Lexus makes it sound like everyone can get a red bow and a brand new Lexus on Christmas morning, right? I need that thing. I need that vehicle. I need that whatever it is. There is this, there is this innate desire that we all have in this season. There is a danger that we are playing the wrong game that our hearts are longing not for Christ, but for all this stuff that we think we need in this season. And marketers are great at having our hearts long for these things. So there's a danger there of thinking we need things we didn't even know we wanted until we walked by them or until the Instagram ad hit our feed and we found ourselves watching a three-minute ad and we didn't know why. I need a new bed that has some space-age technology. Yeah, see, that got someone. Someone bought that bed. I knew it. I think it's purple. Yeah, I've seen it. (laughs) Second thing that I think we're prone to that is a danger right now is a danger of depression, of sadness, of loneliness. Uh, You may be here even this morning and you're surrounded by people, but you still feel alone. And you're in the season where everyone's supposed to be merry and jolly and bright and singing and the lighting of the doves. And there's all this hoopla. There's all this celebration. And you've just, it, it, it magnifies your loneliness. It magnifies your sadness at times because everything is telling you you should feel a certain way and you don't. And so this season for you Maybe if that's you in this room, it just magnifies all of these places of brokenness, of unmet dreams or expectations that you've had or that you currently have. And it is a a gong in the background of all this noise that says it should be merry and bright and you simply don't feel that way. Uh, Second thing that I think we have a special danger of is the danger of hurry in this season. The danger of hurrying from one thing to the next. There's so many deadlines to meet. There's so many things that we have to get done. There's, there's, there's parties, corporate parties to go to. There's family that's coming in. There's preparations that need to be made. There's gifts that need to be purchased. There's all this tension. There's all this stress. There's all this weight that starts bearing down on us. And we feel this in different ways, each one of us. And this season of all seasons shouldn't feel tense, stressful, and like you're in a pressure cooker. It's a season of the arrival of the risen Lord Jesus Christ who has come to pay for our sin, and yet we feel tense and stressed to get all the things done that we need to get done. In fact, you may be in here today and be like, this guy sounds like he's going to go a long time, and I got things to do this afternoon because I I know this story, right? We feel that. Yes, I am going to go long. Even though we had child dedication. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. Tension. So what do we need in this Advent season? Church, we need deep, unshakable truth from God's word. 
We need deep, unshakable promises given to us by the promise keeper that never breaks them. They keep our bearings in this season where the rivers seem to spill out of the bank so easily in our lives. We need him to hem us in and to hold us fast in all of these different pressures that come barreling down at us. And we need it from the very word of God, our source of truth. And when we have his word, and we have his word that goes deep into our hearts and into our souls, and we believe it and we trust him, when we walk down Market Street, we are unmoved by covetousness because of God's word. We are lifted free out of our loneliness and isolation and sadness because we remember that God has saved us into a family. He saved us into a family, and we're, we can take a deep breath in this season and relax amidst the, um, among the, the frenzy of activity that has us just ping-ponging from one thing to the next because Jesus has come. That's what we need. We need solid insight into the meaning of Christ's coming that will keep us sober in a world intoxicated with the love of stuff. The love of stuff. So the overarching truth of this Advent message is this, is that Christ's coming, Christmas, that Christ's coming is confirmed by the covenants of God. Romans 15, 8 says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Let me read that again. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Christ came to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. The promises we just read in Genesis 12. 15 and 17. So I hope that wherever you are in this Advent season, if those three dangers that I listed, if one of those is you here this morning, I hope that you will repeat over and over and over in your mind this season and the coming weeks leading up to the celebration of his arrival that his coming confirms the covenants. His coming confirms the covenants. His coming confirms the covenants. And it would ring in your minds as you shop. That Jesus has come has confirmed that his promises are true forevermore. And so that would ring in your head as you prepare food, as you get ready to open your home for family and friends to come and visit. And you would remember as 2 Corinthians 1-2, as Paul says, all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? All of the promises of God, all the way back in Genesis, even last week, Genesis 3.15, and Genesis 12, and Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, all of the promises, 2 Corinthians 1.20, find their yes in Christ. Everything promised to Noah, everything promised to Abraham, everything promised to Moses, everything promised to David and to their descendants down the line are confirmed and secured by the coming of Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. 
That's why it's a celebration. Um, and if the sin of man were an obstacle to that, then the sacrifice of Jesus has removed that obstacle forever. That's a glorious hope. So his coming confirms the covenants. Christ is God's yes to these covenant promises that we read in the Old Testament. Jesus, and if that's true, Jesus is God's yes to you. That all of those promises that find their yes in Christ are now yours because you are now found in Christ. That's why Christmas is so wonderful. All of the promises find their yes in Christ. And now we are in union with Christ because of his birth, death, and resurrection. And now we are found in him. And all those promises made to Abraham way back then are yours and mine. Not because I've earned it or because I deserved it. Because God said it. That is why Christmas is so joyful. So let's look at these, this covenant from Abraham this morning. I want us to take away three things. Uh, these three things that we found in Abraham's covenant are that those who hope in Christ and who follow Christ in obedience are, in fact, descendants of Abraham and heirs to this promise. We're going to look at why that's true, how we know that's true. Two, that these promises that are made that we just looked at in Genesis are more wonderful, they're more awe-inspiring, they're more spectacular than anything we will see or experience this season that the world throws at us. And third, that these promises are sure and they are going to come to pass and they are rooted in God's truthfulness and they're confirmed in Christ's coming. So first, for those of us who hope in Christ and follow in the obedience of faith, we are Abraham's descendants and we are heirs of this covenant promise that was given to Abraham way back in Genesis. So God says to Abraham in Genesis 7-4, behold, I'm sorry, 17-4, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. But if you read through Genesis, Genesis makes plain that Abraham does not father a multitude of nations in a physical or political sense. So what do we do with that? Therefore, the meaning of that, the meaning of God's promise is that the multitude of nations would somehow enjoy the blessings of sonship as heirs of Abraham, even though physically unrelated to Abraham. And that's no doubt why God meant in Genesis 12, 3, when he says, by you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he, he didn't mean direct descendants because he later goes on and clarifies the covenant and says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So from the very beginning, God had in view that Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham, which is why when you read Matthew's gospel at the very beginning, it begins with Abraham. He, he ties Jesus' lineage as the rightful heir to this promise all the way back to Abraham. So read Matthew's gospel as some homework and read about that. That's why this is so important. So all the way back... Um, the descendants of Abraham, God knew in his vision, in his sight, he knew 
that everyone who trusts in Christ would become an heir to this promise given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. How do we know that? Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. How much more plain does it get right there? If you are Christ, Paul says this, then you, it's like an if-then statement. This is like basic understanding, a forming uh, understanding of something. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise we just read about. In Christ, you are heirs to this wonderful promise. And so, When God said to Abraham 4,000 years ago or so, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations, he swung, God swung open the door for everyone, no matter what you look, look like, no matter what nation you're from, no matter where you've come from, what you've gone through, what you've been through, to become a child of Abraham and an heir of God's promise through Christ Jesus. That's why Christmas is so beautiful. And we do not become heirs by working for God. We do not become heirs of this promise by working real hard and being in a frenzy and getting it all done and making sure God's real impressed with all of the things we've done, we become heirs of this promise like Abraham by believing God and then by evidencing that belief through obedience in what he calls us to. Here's the way Paul puts it in Romans 4. Abraham grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, Romans 4.20. God is the doer in all of this. We, church, are the trusters. We are the reliers. We are the ones confident in this promise-giving God that he will come through for us no matter what stands in the way. And we can trust him, and we can even trust him with everything in our lives, no matter how costly that thing is, no matter how precious that thing is to us, we can rely on him and trust in him and lean into him fully because God's word is true and his promise is true. We saw that even in Abraham. That's how Abraham could believe God with his most precious thing, his son, When God told him to march up Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice, the the promise, God gave him to me. And you're asking me to give up this? And he walks up that mountain. He does, it looks like a dead end. It looks like no way forward. How on earth is God asking this of me? He trusts God. He said, if God said it, he will make a way. So I will do what he asks because my trust in this God who makes his promises is worth everything to me. So I will walk forward even though I think it's a dead end road because God said go. And Abraham trusted God to do the impossible. Read the rest of the story. God does. So 
faith in God, or we can say this side of the cross, faith in Christ, who confirms these promises, means that we are heirs of the promises of Abraham. Your faith in Christ means that you and I are heirs of these promises given to Abraham long, long ago. Second, obedience like Abraham on that mountain where he was willing to have be open-handed with his most precious thing in all of life that God had given to him is an evidence of the genuineness of his faith. Church, where is God calling you to walk in obedience? We're heirs of this promise. Is there something in your life this year, this Advent season, today, tomorrow, a month from now, that God is saying, I feel like he's calling me over here, but it doesn't make any sense. It seems like a dead end. I don't know the outcome of it. I don't even know if it's possible. It is possible with God if he's calling you, and you should obey him and walk toward it. And in doing so, and in taking those steps of obedience, evidence the, evidences the faith you have in Christ, who will keep his word. Who will keep his word. Um, Jesus says it this way in John eight thirty nine. So in case you're like, I think he's kind of making all this up. These are a lot of stretches. There's a lot of verses he's throwing at me. It's like Abraham and Paul and G. Like, what's going on here? Jesus says this, John 8, 39. If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. I mean, come on. If you were Abraham's children, you, Christian in Christ, would do what Abraham did. So we can define Abraham's children from Jesus' perspective as people who believe like Abraham believed and it was counted to them as righteousness and the promises of God and we can walk in obedience even if it costs us everything. We can walk open-handed because God is with us. God is for us. He will be our God. He is there with us so we don't have to do things on our own. We don't have to be isolated. God is with you. So those who hope in Christ and follow him in obedience of faith are the descendants of Abraham and heirs of this covenant promise. Second, this promise, church. So this is our promise. Second thing I want us to hold on to is that this promise is more spectacular, more wonderful, more awe-inspiring than anything you will experience this season. It is, it is more beautiful than the biggest Christmas tree with the biggest lights and the lighting of the dough, whatever it is you want to put in there that awes us and gets us in this truth, this promise is better than anything you will experience that the world throws at you. Consider this. We could go for weeks on this. I want us to consider one, Genesis 17, 7. This covenant promise. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout this generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. The heart of this covenant 
that God makes with Abraham is that he will be God to us. And if we are heirs of this promise, this promise is for you. God looks at you and says, I am making an everlasting promise to you that will never end, that will never go away, that no one can take from you. I will be God to you. You. I, I will be God to you. If you just let your mind just scratch the surface of that statement, you will, it's unbelievable. Jeremiah talks about it this way. When he quotes God, he says, they shall be my people. I will be their God. I will not turn away from doing good for them, good to them. I will rejoice in doing good to them with all my heart and with all my soul. It boggles the mind and it should leave you in awe to imagine what it means for the God who is the maker of the planets and of the stars and of the cosmos who right now is holding you together with every electron and proton and neutron and I don't know how all any of that even works, but down to the molecular core of who you are. He made you and crafted you and he made the galaxies. That God says, I will be God to you. I didn't even get one amen for that. <laughs> Y'all aren't hearing me. <laughs> I mean, I tried. I'll be God to you. Um, it means that all of him, all of who God is, is engaged all the time to do good for you in every circumstance of your life. It doesn't mean he'll do good the way he, you think he should do good to you. It means on his accord and his plan, he will do good to you in every circumstance of your life right now because he in Christ is God to you personally. Paul puts it this way um, in Romans 8, 28. Everything works together for good because God is working for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 4, the promise to Abraham and his descendants is that they should inherit the world. So everything, the, everything in the world is in service for the children of God. which is you in Christ because Christ came to fulfill and confirm all of these covenants. 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours. Life or death or present or future, all are yours and you are in Christ and Christ is God's, the creator of the universe. To say to a human being, to say to you and I, I will be God to you is the glorious reality of Christmas. In life and in death, death doesn't even separate us from this eternal promise. I will be God to you means life forevermore, eternal life with God, an everlasting covenant. 
Little old death doesn't even separate us from this promise. Death is no obstacle for it. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout this generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. That's you if you are in Christ today. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you. We're getting there. Church, because of Christ's death, little old, because of Christ, even death doesn't separate us. That's what Paul's getting at. He says, I'll be God to you. Church, we're beneficiaries of this great promise if you believe it. It's a spectacular promise that ought to fill our minds this Advent season. And now, church, as you walk through Market Street and the call to covet all the stuff that we see, and the call to long after all the the new whatever it is you think you want in every store, if you believe this promise, I will be God to you, the, the, the windows of the stores will have no power over your heart this Advent season because you've been given the greatest gift, God himself, and dwelling within you in the burden of depression or loneliness, or sadness, or isolation that you feel right now when everything should be merry and bright because of a season can actually be joy-filled because of this great promise because he saved you into a family, an eternal family. So you were never alone. And I wanna challenge you here today. We struggle with this. We, I think we struggle with this in our church today. We show up here. And there's many of us that show up here and we look to our right and our left and we kind of know those people, but we don't really know them and we're afraid to actually get to know them. We have been saved into the eternal family of God because of Christ. It's an everlasting covenant. And I wanna challenge us today to lean into the family of God. There are people in this room that feel isolated and alone in a room of people at church that shouldn't happen. Talk to each other. Get to know one another. This is not a big place. Linger for a while. If you've been around for a while and you see someone kind of standing around, that's them doing their best because they want to get to know you. They might not know how. If you've been around, go talk to them. Love them. Encourage them. Invite them to lunch. Let's lean into this as the family of God together. Third, last thing. Yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> this promise that is given to us is sure. It's true. Um, and you may be in here and you're thinking, wow, that is, those are some pretty lofty things. You don't know me. Like an heir of a child of Abraham, like 
I can have these eternal promises of God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought about this week. You don't know what I did 10 years ago. You don't know me. This can't be for me. Church, the only candidates for the blessings of Abraham, for the promises given in this covenant are for sinners. Those are the only candidates. That's why Jesus had to come to confirm them all. Not even Abraham could have enjoyed this blessing had Jesus not come. Abraham, too, was a sinner. Christ bought the covenant for Abraham and for all of his descendants henceforth who would trust in him. No one purchases inheritance from God. No one earns inheritance from God. It is given by God's good pleasure. In fact, when Mary was carrying the Lord Jesus in her womb, she sings a song recorded in Luke chapter one, and part of it goes like this. This is amazing. She's carrying the Lord Jesus in her womb. She sings this song, Luke 1, 51, and then a little bit in 50, uh, Luke 1, 54 and 55. The Lord has shown strength with his arm. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mar Sorry about that. I'm getting a little, getting a little jumpy. Mary... Mary sings a song about this covenant promise. And she said, the one who is coming is coming to bring mercy for all of Abraham's descendants who would believe and trust in him. She knew it. She sings about it. Mercy. The child in her womb was the remembrance of God's mercy is the arrival of God's mercy for the descendants of Abraham whom we are if we would trust in this child that was to be born. And we cannot earn it. It is absolutely free. It can only be had by the trusting. Do you believe and receive this promise here this Advent season that I will be God to you? If you believe that, church, everything in your life changes. Everything in your life is different. So my challenge is how does believing this promise given to Abraham that is now ours as heirs and descendants of Abraham through Christ, this promised one that has come to give us mercy, change you this Advent season. What can you lay down this season that you're coveting, knowing that you've been given the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you stop rushing through from one thing to the next and stop and savor how spectacular the promises that now lands on you this Advent season and rest in the promises of God given to you as descendants of this eternal covenant promise given long, long ago that's now ours and secured in Christ. And if you are lonely, even in a room filled with people, know that you've been saved into a new family. You've been given brothers and sisters in Christ, not just 
for today, tomorrow, and the next day. Yes, that's true, but forever. Eternal covenant community purchased by Christ, given to us by God through these great promises that are all ours now because of this one that has come to us. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can see Christmas even in Genesis. Lord, that you promised that you would send a seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent's head, that you gave an eternal covenant promise to Abraham that all of the nations would be blessed because of him and that you would be God to us those of us who are descendants of his. And now in Christ, we're counted as children and heirs of Abraham, found in Christ. So all of your promises that you have given to us, we now find for ourselves because they've been purchased for us by Christ. Lord, may we marvel in that truth. May this season, we not long after things, but would be long for more of you, Jesus. May we stop hurrying and bustling and planning and frantically going from one thing to the next. And Lord, give us moments to ponder and sit in wonder of your spectacular truths applied to our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that feels lonely, if there's anyone in here that needs prayer because they are running frantically, if there's anyone in here that... Uh, needs anchoring of the soul to remind them of who Jesus is this Christmas season, not running after one thing or the next, would you make us brave enough to go back and receive prayer here this morning? To let the family of God lock arms and pray for one another because we all need you. No one earns these promises. They are freely given. And so Lord, may we lock arms together, chase hard after you, knowing you've given all. In Jesus' name we pray.